Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Before we begin today, you may have noticed that last week I launched my Buy Me A Coffee page. I recorded a new intro, which is going to be at the top of every show where I explain how it works. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who's already donated. You've no idea how much it means to me. And thank you also for all your kind messages that you left on the Buy Me A Coffee page as well. I love doing this podcast, but like pretty much everything about being a writer, it's a really isolated job. I'm just sitting here in my own office writing recording every week. Well, my dog Henry is here too with me, but it's just the two of us. And while I do check the statistics regularly and intellectually, I know there are tens of thousands of you all out there around the world listening. In my day-to-day life, (laughs) I usually just work on the assumption that I'm annoying people. Because that's the effect I tend to have on people I meet actually in person. So it was really lovely to read all your messages and get a sense of what's been going on in your lives out there, because goodness knows we've all had a lot going on this last year and a half. So it's been wonderful to learn what's been going on with your families and how much you've been enjoying listening to my very silly stories. So thank you for that. And of course, thank you for all the coffee. It is really very much appreciated. I particularly enjoy being able to share it with my own girls, who you know as Vanessa and Tammy from The Tall Tales. They're actually based on my real kids, uh, Violet and Samantha. And it's not always a lot of fun for them to have two very flaky writer parents. So it's been so good to be able to take them down to the coffee van where I go. They don't actually drink coffee because they're kids, but I get them like a hot chocolate or an orange juice. And to be able to share your generosity with them and to give them a sense that all this has been worthwhile, me locking myself away in my office one day a week, write and record this podcast. So thank you very much. It really means so much to me. Uh, if you haven't checked out the Buy Me A Coffee page yet, I have put up a free mini story there, so you can download that. You can find it under the Extras tab, and you don't have to donate anything to get that. It's just a bonus thing. And I'm planning to put up another one of those free mini episodes, and that's going to be a Friday Barn story later this week. But anyway, enough with all this housekeeping. You're not here for that. You're here to listen to a story. So let's get on with it. This week's story is... The Scorpion and the Frog, as told by Nanny Piggins. Here we go. Nanny Piggins was walking Derek, Samantha and Michael to school. They had to walk because they'd missed the bus. And they'd missed the bus because the chocolate chip pancakes Nanny Piggins had made them for breakfast were so good that they'd all had to have seven helpings. The trick to getting chocolate chip pancakes that good is getting the pancake to chocolate chip ratio just right. In this instance, Nanny Piggins had actually entirely forgotten to add any pancake batter to the chocolate chips, so they'd basically just been eating giant discs of chocolate. So they were bustling to the school gate as fast as three children and a pig can bustle after they've wildly overeaten when they came face to face with Nanny Piggins 
arch nemesis. To be fair, Nanny Piggins did have quite a lot of arch nemesises. You can't be the world's most glamorous flying pig without incurring the wrath of countless circus rivals. Not to mention her baking rivals. But this nemesis was her nannying nemesis, Nanny Anne. A nanny so perfectly perfect at absolutely everything related to childcare and personal hygiene, it was nauseating. Oh, good morning, Nanny Piggins, said Nanny Anne, with a smile that did go all the way up to her eyes, but only because they were twinkling with joyful malice. Ugh, grunted Nanny Piggins. She had long ago given up any pretense of being polite to Nanny Anne. Oh, I see you didn't bring your boat today, said Nanny Anne. Nanny Piggins looked at Nanny Anne. Samson and Margaret Wallace, the children Nanny Anne looked after, were struggling down the footpath behind her, carrying what looked like a small rowboat. Nanny Piggins glowered. She didn't want to ask Nanny Anne what she meant, but she was dying of curiosity. Oh, didn't Michael tell you? asked Nanny Anne. Nanny Piggins squeezed her mouth closed with all her might. She knew if she opened it, she wouldn't in fact ask Nanny Anne what she was talking about. She would just lunge forward and bite her on the shin. Oh, yes, sorry, said Michael. Dinner was so good last night, I forgot to tell you. They'd had pizza the previous night for dinner, and Nanny Piggins didn't like to waste good flour on pizza-flavoured pizza. If you were going to bake with flour, she thought it was a crime not to add chocolate powder. And then tomato and cheese wouldn't go with that, so as toppings, she added chocolate sauce and chocolate cream. We have to make a boat for class out of something boats aren't usually made out of. Whoever's floats longest wins, explained Michael. Margaret stayed up all night working on her, said Nanny Anne. This was a lie. Margaret had slept soundly while Nanny Anne had done the work for her. She said Margaret's fine motor skills weren't good enough for her to do her own second-grade assignments. We thought we'd bring it in a day early so the teachers could show the rest of the class what can be done when you apply yourself. Nanny Piggins peered closer at the boat Samson and Margaret were carrying. She could see now that it was, in fact, entirely made out of gaffer tape. Ha! said Nanny Piggins. You made it out of gaffer tape? There's nothing impressive about that. Gaffer tape is waterproof. Where's the challenge? Nanny Anne looked taken aback to have her ingenuity questioned. Most people were too frightened to challenge her. Michael is making his boat out of something much more impressive, claimed Nanny Piggins. I am, asked Michael. He hadn't actually given his own boat any thought. It wasn't that he was thoughtless. He just had other thoughts, usually about chocolate and not doing his homework, that clouded his mind. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. Michael is making a full-sized replica of the Beagle entirely out of chocolate. The Beagle, said Derek. You mean like Snoopy? No, the Beagle, said Nanny Piggins, as in the ship Charles Darwin sailed on when he made his voyage of scientific discovery around the world. There was a pause while everyone took in the magnitude of Nanny Piggins' outrageous boast. Then Nanny Ann burst out laughing. <laughs> it was the horrible kind of laugh of someone who doesn't get much practice because they don't laugh very often. And when they do laugh, it's always at someone else. Laughter should never be a form of degradation. It's supposed to be an expression of delight. If you only ever laugh at other people, you need to take a long, hard look at yourself. I look forward to seeing that, said Nanny Anne, still smirking smugly as she ushered Samson and Margaret and the boat into the school grounds. Nanny Piggins grabbed the gateposts. It was the only thing stopping her from chasing after Nanny Anne and stomping hard on her foot.
Ah, oh, Nanny Piggins, said Samantha. Nanny Piggins, you're blocking our way. We need to get through the gate. Nanny Piggins took a moment to realise what Samantha was saying. No, you won't, said Nanny Piggins. You're not going anywhere. You're coming home with me. We are, asked Derek. He wasn't terribly disappointed. He was supposed to be doing a maths test after recess, and unless it covered the mathematics of measuring cake ingredients, he had done absolutely nothing to prepare. We've got work to do, said Nanny Piggins. Life-size solid chocolate replicas of 19th century ships don't build themselves. You were serious, asked Michael. We're really going to do that. I never lie, said Nanny Piggins, which was itself a lie, but the children were too polite to point this out. Once they returned home, Nanny Piggins set to work, and it was an impressive sight to behold. She called in favours with all her chocolate suppliers. Luckily, she consumed so much chocolate in a calendar year, she was an excellent customer, and every chocolatier in town was happy to help her in her project. She set to work constructing the Beagle just as the early 19th century shipbuilders had built the original timber version. She took massive logs of chocolate, which she had made herself in the backyard using sewerage pipes as a mould. Don't worry, it was unused sewerage piping. Then she took these logs and carved and laid them into planks, bent them around a frame made of reinforced chocolate beams. She added caramel to the chocolate in the beams for greater tensile strength, then laid sheets of chocolate on top for the decking. The hardest part to construct was the sails. Chocolate does not lend itself to bending with the wind, so instead she used candy rainbow straps, a confection made purely of sugar, artificial colouring and artificial flavouring. It was a substance so diabolically unhealthy it could withstand the strongest gale. And so, after just 16 hours of constant labour, her model was completed. It was a magnificent sight, a Cherokee-class 10-gun brig sloop with three masts and unusually high bulwark made entirely out of chocolate. But how are we going to get it to school? asked Michael. We'll sail it, of course, said Nanny Piggins. We will, asked Michael. Well, the park at the end of the street has a river in it, said Nanny Piggins, and five kilometres downstream it runs right past the school, so sailing it will be the easiest way to get it there, and it will be a good opportunity to test its buoyancy. And it will make a spectacular arrival that will really infuriate Nanny Ann, observed Samantha. I suppose so, said Nanny Piggins, breezily, as if this wasn't what she'd been planning the whole time. And so, after Nanny Piggins bribed a very nice crane operator from the nearby building site with some lovely lemon cupcakes, the giant chocolate beagle was soon floating in their local river. Nanny Piggins raised the rainbow candy sails and they set off. It floats beautifully, exclaimed Michael. Of course, said Nanny Piggins. Chocolate is a very versatile material. It would be used in vehicle manufacture more if the people making the vehicles could resist eating it. No one wants to catch a plane that's only got one wing because the engineers were peckish. And at this speed, we should be at school in 20 minutes, said Derek. Oh, really? Well, what shall we do to fill the time, asked Nanny Piggins. The children stared at each other. They had assumed that sailing a chocolate yacht down their neighbourhood river would be entertainment enough. Why don't you tell us a story, Sarah, suggested Boris, her ten-foot-tall ballet-dancing bear brother. That's a good idea, said Nanny Piggins. Being on the water like this does remind me of my distant cousin, Frida. Was she a great sailing pig, asked Samantha. Not at all, said Nanny Piggins. Frida was a frog. 
The children were puzzled. They were not entirely sure how a pig could have a cousin who was a frog. But you would never guess from looking at a tadpole that it would transform into a frog or that a caterpillar could transform into a butterfly. So who knew what a frog and a pig could be capable of? Yes, there's a very famous story about my cousin Frida the frog, said Nanny Piggins, and the time she met a scorpion who wanted to cross a river. Oh, I know that one, said Boris. It's a Russian folk story. It's the story of the scorpion and the frog. Then Boris let out a loud sob. (laughs) But it ends very sadly. Nanny Piggins rolled her eyes. All Russian folk stories do. Luckily, the folklorist who wrote it down got everything wrong. It didn't happen that way at all. And you know the real story, prompted Michael. Well, yes, I do, said Nanny Piggins. Will you tell it to us, asked Derek. All right, said Nanny Piggins. Once upon a time in the olden story days, my cousin Frida was sitting on the riverbank, enjoying the sunshine, when a scorpion scuffled up behind her. Frida didn't want to move. You know how it is when you're sitting in the sun and you feel so warm and comfortable, like a slice of toast in a toaster. So she just peered at the scorpion out of the corner of her eye. Generally, she did not care for scorpions. And I know this sounds dreadfully speciesist of her, but to be fair, scorpions do not look very hospitable. But you're always telling us not to judge others by their appearance, Samantha reminded her. Yes, I know, said Nanny Piggins, but that's because you're obsessed with physical beauty. Handsome princes with rippling muscles and chiseled jaws, and beautiful princesses with golden locks and pretty faces. That stuff is ridiculous. Scorpions are quite another matter. People are prejudiced against them because everything about a scorpion screams, I am going to sting you. They've got big angry pincers that are specifically designed for pinching. And they've got a hard chitin exterior that is designed specifically for stopping you from biting them back. And they've got eight whole legs, so they have an unfair advantage when it comes to running away, which is really just cheating. But the most ostentatiously offensive thing about scorpions is their tail. It's just a huge stinging weapon that they pull up over their heads and wave about to intimidate people. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. But my cousin Frida was too sun-addled to run away, so she simply inquired, What do you want? It turns out that this scorpion was quite the silver-tongued devil. He was tremendously polite. My dear, said the scorpion, I would dearly love to cross this river. Could I please persuade you to carry me across on your back? My cousin glowered at him. But you're a scorpion. How do I know you won't sting me? Of course I would never do that, said the scorpion. If I stung you, we'd both die, because I would drown. I suppose so, said Frida. She was heading across the other side anyway, because that's where the nearest bakery was situated. So she decided to oblige. Hop on, then, I'll swim you over. Now Frida was seriously good at swimming. She used to be a breaststroke champion, you know. 
Frogs are always very good at doing frog kicks. So swimming across the river that day was a real pleasure. It was lovely and sunny. The water was cool and clear. It was glorious. She'd almost forgotten there was a scorpion on her back when all of a sudden, kapow, she felt a searing, burning pain pierce her back. Did you just sting me, demanded Frida. Clearly the scorpion had, but it was so unbelievable she had to ask. Yes, I'm afraid I did, confessed the scorpion. Well, ow, 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 owie, ow, said Frida. It really hurts. Yes, I have been told a scorpion sting does feel that way, agreed the scorpion. What, by all the other people you've stung, guessed Frida. Yes, they did all mention it, said the scorpion, right before they died. Their last words, in fact. But that's just so stupid, exclaimed Frida. If you sting me and I die, you're going to drown here in the river. I know, said the scorpion. Then why did you do it, demanded Frida. Because I'm a scorpion, said the scorpion, and that is my nature. Boris burst into tears at this point. I told you this story was so sad. It's only sad because the Russian version ends right there, said Nanny Piggins. It's supposed to be some sort of fatalistic moral tale that teaches children that wicked people will always be wicked, even if being wicked harms themselves, which is a dreadfully uncharitable, unforgiving thing to teach children. Well, it could just be teaching children to steer clear of scorpions, said Derek. Well, that's hardly fair on all the nice scorpions, said Nanny Piggins. Are there any nice scorpions, asked Samantha. We'll never know, said Nanny Piggins. No one ever goes near them because of all the outrageously slanderous things said about them in folk stories, which has probably caused them to have terrible chips on their shoulders and grudges against humanity, which actually does make them want to sting everyone. So we should steer clear of scorpions then, asked Michael, just to clarify. Oh, it's probably best to, just to be on the safe side, said Nanny Piggins, unless you're wearing a full suit of medieval steel armour. I don't think we've got one of those, said Michael. Well, until we do, just let the scorpions have a safe distance, said Nanny Piggins. So uh, getting back to the story, prompted Derek, did Frida die? No, of course not, said Nanny Piggins. She was a froggins after all. I thought you said she was your cousin, said Samantha. That's what the frog branch of the family is called, explained Nanny Piggins. She was as healthy as an ox. Is there an ox branch of your family, asked Michael. Yes, the oxen, said Nanny Piggins. Now could you please stop interrupting? What this scorpion didn't realise was that Frida was no ordinary frog. Yes, she was related to you, agreed Michael. Yes, and more than that, she was a spiny-headed Greening frog, said Nanny Piggins, nodding triumphantly. Sorry, uh, we don't understand the significance of that, said Michael. Nanny Piggins shook her head sadly. The education provided to human children is sadly lacking. They teach you no end of mathematics, but nothing about the various species of venomous frogs. Venomous frogs, said Derek. Is there such a thing? I knew frogs could be poisonous if you ate them, but to be venomous, don't they have to have some way of attacking their enemy with their poison through fangs or barbs? Oh, Frida had that, said Nanny Piggins. There are two known species of venomous frogs in the world, but they don't have fangs in their mouth. They have spikes on their foreheads. 
"'Whoa!' said Michael. "'They sting their victims by headbutting them,' said Nanny Piggins. "'The venom flows through their spikes "'and is injected into their victim's bloodstream.'" Now, normally, Frida was a lovely, delightful frog, said Nanny Piggins. She would never headbutt anybody. But when she'd been stung by a scorpion, a hitchhiking scorpion, who she had gone out of her way to help, that really made her cross. She bopped him hard on the face. The scorpion tried to fight back by pinching her with his pinches. Then she tried to bop him again with her forehead, and they got into quite the rumble, wrestling back and forth. They'd been at it for some time when the scorpion suddenly noticed, Hey, why aren't we drowning yet? They looked down and realised they were on the bank of the river. While they'd been wrestling, they had washed ashore. You didn't die of my sting, said the scorpion. No, but I feel awful. Thank you very much, said Frida. And she was being sarcastic with her thank you. She meant the exact opposite. I feel awful too, said the scorpion. Good, said Frida. That's my venom working. So they both lay on the bank, writhing in agony for a full half hour. But they were tough creatures and neither of them actually died. When they started to feel better, they both felt a little foolish about attempting to sting each other to death in the middle of a river. Not water-safe behaviour at all. So they had learned their lesson. The scorpion and the frog both promised never to attack each other again, no matter what their base animal nature might make them want to do. Oh, so it did have a happy ending, said Samantha. Not quite, said Nanny Pickens. The scorpion and the frog reached out to shake hands on it, when all of a sudden an eagle swooped down and ate them both. The end time for bed. Wait, cried Michael. They did both die. Yes, I just said that, said Nanny Piggins. This is a terrible story, wailed Boris. It is, agreed Nanny Piggins, as she popped a piece of chocolate in her mouth. But my story is more complicated and intriguing than your Russian version. Because the moral of my story is, don't try and kill another creature. Because you won't like it when another creature kills you. Nanny Piggins, said Derek, I don't want to alarm you, uh, but my feet are getting wet. And where did that chocolate come from that you're eating, asked Samantha. Oh, I found it under my bottom, said Nanny Piggins. I was sitting on it. But you're sitting on the hull of a ship, said Samantha. Oh, so I am, said Nanny Piggins. I forgot where we were for a moment. They all looked about and realised that while she was telling her story... Nanny Piggins had eaten a large hole in the hull of the ship, and now water was leaking in quickly. The boat's sinking, said Michael. Oh dear, said Nanny Piggins. Chocolate is apparently not as buoyant as I had imagined. Certainly not once you've eaten it, agreed Derek. What are we going to do, wailed Samantha. Start bailing out water, suggested Derek. Don't be ridiculous, said Nanny Piggins. There's no time for that. There isn't, asked Derek. No, said Nanny Piggins. Clearly, the first thing we must do is start eating the rest of the ship. We don't want all this chocolate to go to waste. They didn't need to be told twice. Nanny Piggins and the children set to work eating as fervently as they could. As the ship sailed into sight of the school, there was already a huge crowd of children watching them come down the river. When a massive chocolate yacht sails down a river, word soon spreads. 
When the chocolate replica of the beagle drew in by the touchline of the school rugby field, Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children had eaten the sails, the mast, the decking and the prow. And as soon as the ship touched the bank, the rest of the student body rushed forward to help. They grabbed the hull and pulled it up onto the shore, where the whole school jumped happily on the remains of the boat. Later that day, Nanny Ann lodged a formal complaint, because Margaret's gaffer tape boat had not scored the top mark on the assignment. Michael's had, which Nanny Ann said was not fair, considering that it didn't exist anymore and couldn't float at all because it had been eaten. But the headmaster told her that Michael deserved to win because his boat had sailed five kilometres down a river. And besides, it was delicious. Then the headmaster hung up on Nanny Ann so he could go back to eating a large chunk of bulwark that he had snuck off back to his office. So they all lived happily ever after, except for Nanny Ann. The end. Well, that's it for now. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs>